afternoon, good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. This is your boy C I Double Z Y. You dig live action, Kansas City, Missouri, per usual. And listen, man, I tell you guys every single week, I'm coming back with another fire guest. I've yet to lie to you because because truthfulness is the foundation of all human virtues, my brother. And you know we like to we like to keep the foundation strong around here. So with that being said, today, ladies and gentlemen, today I'm introducing to you Philadelphia native. NCAA men's basketball champion, media personality, Daryl D. Ray Reynolds. What's up, my brother? Go ahead and introduce yourself to the folks. My man, you did it, man. Thank you. Thank you. That, that's pretty much the gist of it. I'm, I'm born and raised in Philly. Um, went to know right outside of the community. Known for ball, but when I got hurt and I couldn't play that anymore, I just jumped straight into media production. I'm actually, I moved out to L.A. recently, so I'm out here now. Been out here like two, three months now, so just, just getting used to it. It's, it's different. Fresh. fresh. You're fresh, fresh to L.A. What part of town are you in, if you don't mind me asking? I'm up in, um like, West Hills, Woodland Hills. I'm, like, 15 minutes outside of Calabasas yeah. right now. I, I, I'm i trying to figure out. I was about, I was on Manhattan Beach first. I'm trying to figure out if I like the water or the mountains. You know what I mean? I'm kind of dancing around, but um, I don't know. I probably figured out towards the end of the summer. I leave here at the end of July, so... Maybe go to East LA after that, and then I'll make a decision. I love it. I love it. Yeah, I spent a, I spent a few years out there. I, I lived in Calabasas for two years, and then a little bit in like Canoga Park, Woodland, Woodland Hills area, and then Mid City and uh, Reseda. So I jumped around a little bit, but all of LA is freaking awesome. Where you're at right now is my favorite, though, for sure. Personally, I just wow. like that. I mean, to be honest, it's a little bit more quiet, first and foremost, so you can come back home and feel like you like in a quiet place versus being, you know, around too much traffic, around too much, like driving around, around too many young people. I don't know. Like, I'm very much calm, cool, collective vibe. So coming back home to a calm neighborhood where the families are living and things of that nature in terms of the Woodland Hills area. Um, plus, you know, you... Yeah, it kind of depends. If you're doing a lot of work in Hollywood or in Beverly Hills or in the city itself, then that's another thing. You know, obviously you want to be close to that. But if you're looking at like built, staying there for five, like five, ten years, and you're looking for a vibe to call home, definitely like Tarzana, Woodland Hills, Calabasas area, super close to the water. You just take a like if you live in Calabasas, take Las Virginia straight down to Malibu within like 25 minutes of the beautiful drive, chill vibe. So I don't know, man. That was I just really loved it there versus like Mid City. Mid City was cool, but like, yeah, yeah. No, it's it's funny. Like I said, I was I was at I was by the water when I first got out here, um, and I realized that wasn't and you didn't deal with the city the city issues. But as I got closer to the city, I was like, ah, I ain't far to deal with city problems. You know what man, I mean, man. I, hoping to get a change of pace i like it up here in the mountains or like i said by the water but you're right mid city is just city issues are city issues nowadays you know what right. i mean COVID kind of showed i went up to san fran when i first got out here and it kind of showed me like oh COVID kind of affected every urban area the same yeah. way and i mean yeah. so it's now trying to figure out what works for you if that doesn't and that doesn't work for me absolutely i feel you brother well I'm glad you made it to L.A. safe, and I'm, I'm glad you're out there. It's going to be an amazing time. We'll kind of dive into uh, a little bit more about what you do um, so that it makes sense for people why you're out in L.A. now. Uh, so, for sure. Let's start from the beginning, though, man. Like, five-year-old, six-year-old Daryl, who did you think you were going to be when you were older? What were some of your early passions, hobbies? Like, if we could go back in time and, like, put a video on the screen of six-year-old you, what would you be doing? Um, 
I, I mean, I, I wasn't one of those kids that was like, I want to be this or I want to be that. I didn't play sports yet. Um, I was kind of, I was always drawn to to, to media and, and storytelling. I really liked movies and, and, and videos as a kid. I think as every kid, like, I loved Aladdin. Like, I, I oh, yeah. had Aladdin VHS tape out. I remember <laughs> uh, Matilda, the Rugrats. Um, uh, Proud Family wasn't out yet. Um, it was a show with this, this this Caribbean family, they had like a frog and they would always tell stories on it. I think it was like Walla Walla something, uh, Reading Rainbow. I was just interested in anybody with a story. Reading Rainbow was huge. Reading Rainbow and Mr. Rogers were were huge um, influences just to, to see these very sympathetic, empathetic people who would just were, they, they were very good at telling stories. Um, so I think for me, it was more so about the story of things, not so much the thing. You know what I mean? Like I was interested in in being an astronaut at one point, as every kid is, but not. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, oh my God, I want to wear the suit or whatever. It was just like, what is the story of someone who can see the Earth from? You know what I mean? Outside. You know what I mean? And just like I said, for me, it was always it was always it was always the ability to bring back a story um, and and tell about an experience or. Uh, for somebody to be just be a great storyteller, I think that's what stuck with me more than anything. I didn't start playing basketball until I was fifteen. So, Damn. yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. We're definitely going. We're definitely going to have to touch on that. That's a late start for for what you were able to uh, accomplish in that short period of time. Um, so, when you're younger, did you have? I mean, not did you have? Do you have any siblings? Was there anyone else in the household you're playing with, kicking it with? There are a lot of cousins around. There's a lot of family. Like, walk us through kind of like early life and what that looked like, you know, in real life for folks? Um, I mean, I, I had I had cousins that were more like my siblings. We were closer in age, but I was the only child for the first seven years. So mm-hmm. my siblings are seven, eight, 10, and 12 years younger than me. Wow. So being so far apart, it was kind of like, you know what I mean? It was kind of my, my cousins were, one was born 92, one was born 94. You know what I mean? My, my, so they were like, that was like my sisters. They That was my older and younger sister. Um, but yeah, man, I just, for me, it was, it was, I spent a lot of time alone. It was just me and my mom for those seven years as well. So just, like I said, spent a lot of time alone. And because of that, I gravitated towards the television. (laughs) I love that. I love that. And what part of, uh, what part of the country are you from? I know I kind of mentioned at the beginning, but I'd love for you to tap into, you know, your roots in terms of city and the culture that influenced you and, all the culture around, you know, growing up in that part of the country. So talk about that experience in terms of maybe what you learned, what you really carry with you on your heart when it comes from the city that you grew up in and, and the vibes you grew up around. Of course. Um, shit, this, these are great questions. They're taking me back. Um, <laughs> Philly, Philly is a very, it is, it is a melting pot of culture. Um, I don't think, you know, people here, like, New York, Mountain Pot, being, like, like of actual races, you know what I mean? Like, actual, like, you you have your Ethiopians, you have your um, people from Eastern Europe, you have, you know, Asian communities, you have Islanders, you have, uh, in, in small pockets, Native Americans, you know what I mean? Like, if Irish, like, New York is more like a, you're going to get the physical thing. But Philly is different in the sense of, like, you're going to get many different um cultures and and, and ideals um and it all comes down to love you know what i mean that's why we have that statue there that's why the brotherly love thing is real like it's really about just including and 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 loving um 
each other. It's hilarious. We're such a fighter's mentality and a fighter's tag as a city for being rough, but it is a very loving place. Um, I grew up in South Philly, and in South Philly, you have the Black Muslims in one area, German, uh, not Germans, uh, Irish in another. Um, uh, the Italians have their section, and they, when I was growing up, you could kind of see a lot of them leaving as, as their part was shrinking, but the Italians had the bulk of it. Um, and then there was a part where there were a lot of Asians, mostly Koreans and Cambodians. Um, so for me, being that young, kind of seeing all these different types of people, interacting with different types of people, like we got our hair cut in the part of town where like Italians mostly ran over by Snyder Avenue. Um, you know what I mean? I, I remember seeing like kids with red hair, you know what I mean? Um, not in school, like around the neighborhood and not too far out. We ride our bikes out further. So I, it, it made you grow up with a, a different level of tolerance. You know what I mean? And I think, like I said, Philly is such a, I was, I was very much a wanderer. So I spent a lot of time downtown too, kind of looking up at buildings. And I think that only added into the, the nostalgia feeling um, and the euphoric feeling that film can give. And I think that was why I kind of linked it too. But like I said, just being around that constantly, I grew up with a different, like Philly will, it's kind of hard to be from Philly and not be well-rounded if you've moved around the city like I have because you're naturally going to run into different types of people. I love it. I love it. Philly is a city that I haven't been able to spend much time in when I'm on the East Coast, uh, but have kind of just dropped in. And there's just a certain vibe there that's definitely popping. I'm not going to lie. I don't like the cold. That's why I don't even I live in Kansas City, get cold as hell, too. So I'm not a fan of the cold here. But every time I end up going to the East Coast, I have siblings in Brooklyn and Bronx and all over New York for the past like 15, 20 years. So because I got siblings like in your case that are like 12, 17 years older than me. So yeah. Um, so they've been out there. So when I go out there and visit, I'm like, let's go to Philly. But then we always end up in some other city like fucking Boston or some shit. I'm like, I ain't trying to be able to. <laughs> I, so I can't. I spent a year with Boston prep school. I, as a Philadelphian, this is not This is not exactly, uh, it's a little frowned upon. I'm a closet Boston fan. I don't mean, <laughs> I don't mean like the Patriots or the Celtics. I mean like the city. Like the, there is a feeling there that I really like. And it reminded me of Philly, but it's cleaner to call it what yeah. it is like, have street cleaning and and shit like that. Philly is Philly sticks to the to the like that whole rough shit that we that we wear. It's like we really we really wear, wear it on your heart. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> straight up. <laughs> I love that. I love that. And so amazing, man. So childhood, growing up in Philly. Thank you for sharing some of those experiences. As you as you transition into your early teenagehood, like you shared, you start to play basketball. Kind of share what's the influence around how you got into basketball and talk about your teenage years. Maybe one challenge um, that stands out in your mind during your time period in high school and then one like really positive thing that you're like, wow, I really missed that time period. Um, I mean, for me, it was so basketball. Like I said, I found basketball. It was let's let's say 14. I started like playing, mm -hmm. but competitively till 15 I didn't I didn't make a team or even go out for teams so I was 15 in my sophomore year of high school um and I just I made varsity and they were like all right play JV because you know what I mean like I was I was I was tall and talented but I wasn't I wasn't that it, it I, I couldn't see that by playing varsity I would get my ass kicked for most of the year but it would make me more prepared on the other side for me it was no I want to play and I want to get good and build confidence so go down to JV um, 
it was cool. You know what I mean? It, it was cool. I, I think I discovered, and thing, I discovered and figured out a lot of myself through basketball. And I started to understand my identity through basketball. I think the challenging part uh, of it all was being in high school, going through puberty, obviously figuring that out, was how far do I take this thing? And, and how much of myself do I actually give to it? Because, like I said, I understood my identity outside of it. I understood... Um, I understood that I was somebody outside of this game. You know what I mean? I wasn't one of those kids that, like you said, at six, uh, dunking in one of those little... <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you not going to find any VHS tapes of, of you at three years old dunking. <laughs> the closest thing you'll find is my dad had, had somebody one day. Um, he had this, this local artist uh, make like a space jam mm. And, and they they put me in Michael's place. So, <laughs> and I love Space Jam, the movie. But yeah. I was that, like I said, it wasn't it wasn't a whole lot of it wasn't a big infatuation with basketball. It was more so film and storytelling. And what pulled me towards basketball was people like Kobe, people who understood the story aspect and were great of telling the stories of basketball and how it related to other things in life. The good positive thing, I guess you could say, I remember from that time is. I started, I was at a school called Parkway Northwest my sophomore year. Um, junior year, we had moved out to the suburbs and um, I started going to Lower Mary High School. And there, I really started to discover myself. I, I think what it was, was just being in Philly and, and quite frankly, like my first high school, like I remember walking in this metal detectors from jump. So being in Philly and being on guard to a certain degree, it, it only allowed you to go so far. I get to Lower Marion and just the, the, the ease and, the, and the, the space and the ability to, to take a deep breath and quite frankly, the resources, I'm going to call it what it is, allowed me to start to kind of question, like, what am I into and what am I not? You know what I mean? And, and I remember like going to like the music hall here in classical music and being like, holy shit, like this, I love it. <laughs> there was a, a wing in the school that's just dedicated to the arts for photography, videography, shit like that. And I was like, I love this. So I think that that being dropped into that lower Marion community and, and, and learning um, about that when the school of predominantly Jewish kids, just that time helped me. It started, made me start to question what I liked and what I didn't, you know what mm -hmm. I mean? And thank God I didn't fall into the things that, that weren't for me. I love that. I love that. And, and, you know, for individuals out there who don't know, that's a legendary school. For, for for probably one reason to the majority of the world. <laughs> and uh, that would be Kobe Bryant's alma mater. So pretty amazing. I, I would like to discuss that in a future follow-up podcast that we do. <laughs> oh. <laughs> but um, let, let's jump into it, man. You, you go through high school and you end up at Villanova. How does that happen? Um, what was that experience like? And just talk about your experience at Villanova, what you were what was going on in life? Were you like, damn, I don't even want to be here. I just want to play basketball. Or were you like, I'm just here to go to school, but it's awesome that I'm playing basketball. What was your vibes? Where was your mind at? Uh, for me, it was, it was, it was kind of figure out the best of both worlds. You know what I mean? Don't, don't, I was the, the student athlete thing is real with student being first. Um, that shit is real. I don't know do not play that. You know what I mean? You are a student athlete. You're a part of the community. Don't go off on your own and be on some other stuff. And if the grades weren't right, first of all, the grades weren't right, you ain't even getting in. But if the grades mm -hmm. weren't right, play ball. So yeah. very adamant about school, but I knew what I wanted to do. I knew I wanted to be in a communication school. Like 
what got me to Villanova was was the basketball culture and Coach Wright as much as it was my film teacher, uh, Hezekiah Lewis, showing me, you know, the things that they were into on my visit. So for me, it was very much like, all right, figure out both. You're here, you know, you're here because of a, you're getting a free education. Not a free education, but you're getting an education that is, let's say, a debt-free education. I, I like mm-hmm. to say it. Yeah. You're getting a debt-free education and you're you're getting a chance to play basketball. But the basketball thing wasn't what it is now. You know, I, mean, I think people here going over now and they think of the 16 championship, the 18 championship, the guys that's been, you know, fortunate enough to go on to the NBA over these past couple of years. I'll be honest with you. You on the clock back 10 years, 2012, they had a 13-19 season. <laughs> 2016, they went to the, the NCAA tournament, lost in the second round to, to North Carolina, actually. So, like, the, the it was obvious the momentum was going like this, but the year I go and I commit, they break up the conference, and now it's um, the original Catholic Seven of Georgetown, Providence, St. John's, et cetera, go off and, and adopt Butler, Xavier, and um, Creighton, and now it's a 10-team conference. Instead of the Syracuse and Miamis of the world, as you remember before, the conference was smaller, it was a little more intimate, and I think with that move and the positive momentum, that was what made Villanova start to go like this. And then, like I said, my freshman year, you know, we did good, lost second round. Sophomore year, did good, lost second round. Did very good, lost second round. And then that third year, my junior year, we won the championship. And then the fourth year, we did very good again. So I was there to see Villanova gaining this momentum. And it was dope. But like I said, the student thing came first and just being aware that the ball is going to stop bouncing one day. Absolutely. I love that. And so while you're there, I believe um, you really start diving into media even more. So let's talk about um, Stay Tuned Network. Let's talk about your dive into turning this desire to be a part of media, this desire to be a part of storytelling and how that turned into, I guess you could say, real life. (laughs) Um. I mean, for me, it's funny. Stay Tuned Network actually started on campus, but not while I was there as a student. It was when I got hurt and went back to coach. Um, and that was a, was that a, what your position as student athlete development? Yeah. yeah, yeah gotcha, got gotcha. Yeah. Touch on that also as well, if you don't mind. No, of course, of course. So, like I said, my time there, I'm taking classes. I specialized in screenwriting. I really focused on screenwriting because for me, it was Marion. They wanted me to, like, when they first, I got there, they first saw my writing. It was like, you should be an English major. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I don't, you know what I mean? <laughs> I need the visual part of it. I can't, it can't just be all words. Yeah. Um, so screenwriting to me was, these people know how to visually, they know how to tell a story through words. They know how to visually give you a story through words. That's what I want to do. Um... But while I was at Nova, like I said, it was so basketball, basketball, basketball. My first year overseas, I am doing a lot of writing and a lot of planning, but all of it is, okay, once I get, once I'm done and I'm retired at 35, 40, then I'll start with this stuff. I get back from overseas and within like a month of being home, I get hurt. And it was like, all right, let's just start now. So I go on campus. Um, Coach Wright gives me the job of student athlete director. No, what is it? Student, the director of student athlete development, which is pretty much a quasi coaching role for guys who just got done playing, think they want to get into coaching. You take this role where you're doing coach work and you're doing grad assistant work. Um, and then if, if you want to be a coach after that, then we'll figure it out. But 
some people are just like, ah, this is this, <laughs> this, this ain't for me. <laughs> exactly. They knew that about me. So that was my saving grace. He allowed me to do the media stuff a bit more. Um, but I still had to coach. Like I still was on the floor for every practice. I still was on the bench for every game. You know what I mean? Like I still had to talk to the players. Or certain, like it was just, you're still a coach. Um, but during that year, I started to understand um, how powerful the media side was and what I could get that side and how that side was. I don't think that basketball wasn't truly me or anything like that. It was just that was the side that was there first. So uh, I started with the show Stay Tuned with D-Ray, which was like a talk show. Um, and I really loved Arsenio, and David Letterman, and Emily, yes. and, and guys like late night talk show and just I just love that. Like I remember watching Johnny Carson show and I was like, this is so dope. Like you're just this this like just this suave host type character that your thing is to make people's things better. And I love that. That's what I love about coaching. That's what I love about directing. Is your thing is to take the thing. You're the orchestrator. You find all these things that go together and then you push it forward and make it better. Um so I was like, I need to start a, a media company. And for me, the thinking was I'm like a musical artist that's making their own label and signing themselves to it. Like I, I admire the hell out of Jay-Z and I looked at what they did with Rockefeller um, when they first started. It was like nobody would sign him. So he went and made his own record label. And you see what that had turned into over time. And for me, it was the same type of thinking. Like I can't really sell anybody on what I'm trying to do here. So let me just make my own thing and do it. And then people will get along on, uh, on board as it goes. And that's what Stay Tuned Network started off as. I love that. You also just gave me a, an, an idea, but I'll, I'll talk to you about it off uh, off air. You know, can't let nobody get into my mind right now. <laughs> um, so, you know, you, uh, just on the topic of media, I saw something while I was doing some research about you, and I'd like you to touch on it a little bit. So um, you have been working in the NFT space as a media consultant. Um, and I wanted you to kind of touch on that being that NFTs, crypto, Web3 is like a big talk of the town the past, you know, year and a half. Um, I'd love for you to talk about the intersection between NFTs and like the type of media work you're trying to do. So go ahead and, uh, just chop it up about that a little bit and let the people know what you've been doing. Um, I mean, for me, like I, I had heard about, I was out here for this Christmas party. Well, sorry. But making trips, uh, out here back and forth like a year now last okay. year and that was when like i started planting seeds like all right i think i'm gonna get out here for real so let me start to meet people um when i left i actually left philly in october but i stopped in phoenix and i stayed with my father for a while so i was making trips back and forth i'm at this christmas party and this guy who worked for this company called origin origin with a y o-r-i-g-y-n um was telling me about this company called Watchbox that is actually their main store. I'll be you not is five minutes from Lower Marion. Oh, wow. So it, it, I was just like, what the hell? It was kind of, you know, what the hell is going on here? Man. Um, but he tells me about this project that they had launched where they were using NFTs to authenticate watches and mm. they were using them to pretty much they, he, he was in the watch business for the longest hated how like people could could have counterfeit watches and i don't know if you heard like they they, they just recently seized like 30 million dollars in fake rolexes or something crazy oh, shit no i didn't hear nothing about that <laughs> the what in the watch world which I, i've always been fascinated by time and fixated on and i, I love watches and i can't wait to get a, a real nice one that's like my like thing right now that's what i'm after um and anyway in the watch world that's like their biggest enemy 
So he was like, these NFTs, you can walk up. He shows you, like, you could scan your watch and, and it will show you because this thing is a one-of-one one and we can digitally put it on this blockchain, it'll it'll eradicate fake watches for people who are looking. Obviously, there's always going to be fake watches, but you can't be in certain rooms because if somebody got that technology to scan that shit, like the diamond testers, you're done. Um, and they had told me that was the thing that really powered them. And that was, you know, kind of early in the NFT space. It was more crypto and blockchain, but it was still something within the NFT space. And I told him my background was in production and, and um, uh, documentary work. So then they kind of hit me to this concept of, okay, you can double dip. You can do the documentary work, but the way that you really make money off of it is making NFT uh, properties from the documentary. AKA mm. use your storytelling ability to give people the story. And then you give them an NFT that goes along with it, that ties them into it. And the first time I saw it done, I, I was a fly on the wall for this meeting where one dude was talking about his production company and everything he had going on. The other dude ran a sneaker company. And the concept was we're going to do a documentary on the sneaker artists that you have and the people that you have within your Rolodex who deal within this, sneaker art world of graphic design and and things like that and then we'll use nfts of their work to sell in the aftermath of the documentary and then like i said we'll double dip you have the documentary and you have the nfts that tie people who like the documentary into the actual work and for me it was like holy shit mm, like light bulb. that is it that is it that is how you not maximize, but that is how you take documentaries to the next level. Instead of me just throwing this information at you that you love of this story, let me let me find a way to bring you into it. And that's what I, I realized NFTs give you the ability to do. Like a lot of these clubs people belong to because of NFTs, you get events, you get, you know, invites to the restaurants that they open up. You it it, it makes you social the the social um the need right. Exactly. Thank you. The social currency right now is hot. And, and that was that was what NFTs gave you the ability to do. So they were like, do you want to help us put together stories? And I was like, hell yeah. You know what I mean? Hell yeah. I love it. I love that. That's super fire. I know I know that uh, sparked a lot of people's brains that are listening right now. A lot of people, you know, are always trying to talk to me. Hey, you need to interview people about NFTs. I'm like, listen, bro, that's not my space. But if it comes up. You know what I'm saying? I'll make sure to touch on it. So, you know, we had to touch on it. <laughs> um, oh, shit. You hear me now? Good? Perfect. Awesome. I get you, yeah. Awesome. Um, so, I wanted to ask you um, the halftime report. Tell me about it. Tell us, uh, share share kind of how the halftime report show podcast kind of like evolved. Tell us the inspiration behind it. And then I know I, I haven't been able to figure it out from my research, but uh, I know there's some type of connection to a sports cannabis show. Um, so I kind of just want to talk about the intersection between those two things you have going on and dive into that. Two seconds, two seconds. You're uh, you're muted or I can't hear you for some reason. Muted, my fault. I, I, there we I, go. <laughs> All good. Um, the guy who. The guy who like mainly runs Sports Cannabis, uh, which is a magazine, um, he's the head of it. We had we had got to talking uh, probably a little bit of a year ago, and you know we were just talking about like speaking engagements and things like that. And I could hear his passion about um, breaking the stigma 
of of cannabis within not just the sports world but just in general and how it's this like lazy drug and all this other things and you're obviously you're talking about something that can be used recreationally and fun but you're also talking about something that at its core is is a medicine um and for me my journey has started with that when i had my injury and they sent me home with all these pills and i was like i'm not taking this shit so you know what i mean for me that was when i had to kind of figure out all right, if I'm not going to take the medicine they gave me, I got to, I, I have to, this pain is too much. I need something. Um, and that's the dangerous part of it because this medicine is also recreational and those lines can get blurred. But anyway, me and him were talking. It was like, how do we do this in a way that is beneficial for both of us to call it what it is, it's his business, but we both care about this passionately and let's not just throw something at it and just be all about business. Like, how do we, how do we do this in a way that's right? And he saw some of my past work, like I said, the, the first show I did or some of the interview series and things like that, or just me as conversations. And he realized, like, you you have a knack for interviewing. And that's how I started off in this business. So it makes sense. Um, he was like, listen, I can get together some guests. But if you're willing to consistently put in work, I think we can get a show out of this. And I was like, bro, I've been looking to get back into a space where I could use my voice, a.k.a. a podcast. But it has to be something I give a shit about. You know what I mean? And not saying I don't give a shit about sports, but how many, you know, former athletes are talking about right <laughs> why Ben Simmons isn't playing or yeah. what Ron wiped his ass with like I don't yeah. fucking care. You know what yeah. I mean? I I don't I care about the story. I don't care about that story. Yeah. But with marijuana um and cannabis in general, I I I I see it being the next step of sports medicine and I see it being something that gets people away from these opioids because I don't know if you know about the East Coast, especially Philly in particular one of the biggest concentrations of um, the opioid crisis. And as far as like people coming to the city and setting up tents and, 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 and I'm not saying I'm, I'm with like, OF these people, like, these people are hurting. These people are in pain. Like yeah. I volunteered at this shit. Like these people are in like an immense amounts of pain. They're not trying to kill themselves. They're trying to survive. They're trying to deal with it. So in knowing that, in understanding that, in empathizing with that, not being able to sympathize because I, I, you know, I mean, I'm not in that particular um, situation, but be able to empathize with it and be like, understand what it's like to deal with pain that you have to work with. Um, I was like, all right, let's start a show. We talk to people who have also had these experiences. And because of sports being my background, it was like the perfect meeting of, okay, we can talk about people within this space that have had these injuries or had these problems or mental things after they're done playing, which is what a lot of people don't want to talk about. Um, and then how did they use this, this, um, this medicine and this healing tool to forward their lives. Love that. And kind of like to piggyback on top of that, what do you believe is the greatest challenge most athletes are facing today? Um, you know, it could be, you could answer it from a business perspective, from a mental health perspective, from a physical health, like just in your humble opinion, what do you, believe the, the greatest challenge is? I think the greatest challenge to athletes today is the the, 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 the borders between them and the public have been broken. Um, but I, I, I will go as far to say is something to be said about, you know, practicing some fucking mental toughness. Mm -hmm. A lot of athletes are, are sensitive and I, I think it's just fair that somebody who doesn't do what you do gets on Twitter and talk shit. You know what I mean? Like, I think that's just, that's the fit. Like you're making, you're on a stage, you're the man in the arena, you're making hundreds of millions of dollars or whatever it may be. All they have is the ability to get on Twitter and talk shit. It levels the playing field for them. If you let it, you know, be deemed that way. But I think 
the the issue a lot of athletes are dealing with nowadays are uh, I wouldn't say self induced, um, but a, as it's kind of fair game now. It's not the days of 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 of, of Michael Jordan where it's oh we know this guy shit, but let's still put him on a pedestal because he's, he's an athlete. It's right. kind of the all right, you have the money, but I have the voice. You know what I mean? Mm, and yeah. I, to affect your money with my voice. Mm. I think a lot of athletes are, are starting to, it's a different target on their back. It's a different size target and it's a lot more malicious, but I, I, I think it's just, that's what comes with the territory. That's what comes with being more connected with people. That same tool has given people the ability to, um, you know what I mean? Reach out to people personally and show up to people's graduations and all those beautiful things. But the other side of that coin is, you know, some 13 year old who's not paying for the Wi-Fi he's tweeting this shit on is <laughs> bad stat line. You know what I mean? Yeah. Have to understand that that is that is that comes with the territory now. I love it. I love it. And what strengths do you believe you had that made you a great athlete that also carried into what you're doing now and allow you to, you know, develop and 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 dominate in the space that you're, you know, existing in today? Um I think to a degree, it was the ability to, to shapeshift, you know what I mean? And I, I say that in the, the, the least weird way I can. I mean, an ability to move amongst different types of groups of people. And I think it's rooted in empathy and being able to understand and relate to people without completely being in their shoes. Um, but I think as an athlete, I was always on winning teams, but not because I was the best all the time. It was because I could figure out what job needed to be done. You know what mm, I mean? Like, yeah. Where, where, which hole needs to be filled for this thing to stop, uh, to stop, you know what I mean? Stop sinking, you know what I mean? Yeah. Or what's the one piece we need to get us over the top? What's the one job that needs to be done? Because every other job is covered that's going to bring this thing home. Um, so I think that within in athletics is what helped me. And that translates over in the media of, okay, I'm a great interviewer. I want to direct on this, but that's not needed right now. Or I would love the story to go in this direction, but the four people I'm working with like it in that direction. So let me take a back seat and play devil's advocate in this way. Or, you know I mean, I think just ability to, like I said, kind of shape shift and move uh, between different spaces is what's allowed me to kind of, you know, work in both spaces efficiently. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. And so, you know, first off, before I get into my last few questions, I want to say thank you for making time today, man. Um, you know, you don't you don't have to be here, but you chose to be here, and I truly appreciate that. Um, so definitely gratitude on this side. Um, also, a lot of the work you're doing, you know, one of the reasons I brought you on is because, you know, you're a few years ahead of me, both in age and both in experience, and I admire the work you're doing, and I'm kind of, you know, on the same direction you're going, just kind of a little bit in different space, but, you know, same space overall, and so... Just want to say you inspire me. Keep doing what you do. And let's get into these final few questions. All right. I appreciate you, bro. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, yeah. So, you know, what's your massive vision? Like your massive vision for your future? You're 55, you're 65 years old. Like when you think about maybe one of the two or three biggest things you've done in that time period between now and then, what is that for you? Is it, oh, I'm a billionaire media personality with the biggest company in the world? Is it, I just had a lot of impact on Philadelphia specifically, or like, you know, what is that massive impact? And the more detailed, the better, but also we can go broad as well. Give, give me that age bracket again. Cause I ain't gonna lie. <laughs> let's, let's, let's say 65, man. 65. Uh, 65. Um, I see 
I want I want the media to stay. Uh, how do I put this? Purposeful. Yeah, I mean, I want to get to a point where I'm just doing shit to do it. And obviously, I want to use my God-given talents. Um, but I don't want to get to a point where I'm just I'm just it's just money, you know what I mean, or, or just a job, or I'm just doing shit because that's my role. Um, so for me, it would be within media. Um, I, I I want trophies, you know what I mean. I, I think like sports that there's a competitive nature um, within me that that wants to to win and have the best X Y and Z. So hopefully by that point, inshallah, I, I have several awards for several blockbuster films. I I've always admired those films that change the way people look at life, not just entertain them. Like I don't know if you've seen this movie Everything Everywhere All at Once that's come out recently, but like there's no way you leave. you have to really be out of touch with certain things to leave that theater and not be like, damn, you know what I mean? Like, wow. Like, how can I look at things the same way? Christopher Nolan's movies, Inception and Interstellar and, and the prestige, things like that, that just uh, really play on these very common human experiences, uh, but entertain you and wow you to a point where you almost don't understand that you're being educated and entertained and challenged in how you look at the world. And that's what I want to do with my media. Um, so that's first off. But by that point, being 28 right now, I could imagine like anything, you know what I mean? It's, if you're entrenched in it enough, you're going to get burnt out. Not anything, but like most things, if you're entrenched in enough, you're going to get burnt out. So I'll probably be shifted to technology at that point. I've always had an obsession with windmills um, because of their efficiency and just the way that they... I, to me, it was just as a kid. I was. I remember like seeing those things as a kid. They would the little windmill toy things you would you would blow on, and it would like yeah, toy yeah, yeah, yeah. And I remember being a kid, being so fascinated about it. Like when I found out that there was a bigger version of that that like adults were using to actually power stuff, I was like, that is incredible. The idea of just using this this natural thing of the wind. Y'all aren't nobody's. We're not killing the earth or doing anything crazy. We're just using the wind in certain areas to power things. And I can't act like that hasn't always been on my mind. So I'm pretty sure at that point, I would have probably shifted back towards a role of, ain't no shifted back, shifted to a role of kind of being like almost completely behind the scenes, like not being seen a whole lot, uh, but working within technology. And hopefully, you know, I'm successful with it, very successful with it. I love that. I love that. Our second to last question today, brother, is who is Daryl right now? You're 28, 29 years old, man. Like, right now, where you're at in life, like, who are you? Uh, I am at a point where I've, I finally have figured the, the bulk of myself out. Um, I got to be honest, so funny you said, Daryl, the reason I, I go by D-Ring is I've never liked my name. Um, mm, mm. I love my junior. I love my father. I, I love, I love, I love my father. I adore my father, but I, I've never, it's never felt like my name. It's never felt like me. Um, and when I, when, when they, I got the nickname D-Ray from college, I, I had ran with it to a degree because I was like, this is me. You know what I mean? This isn't, this isn't, like I said, it's just, I, it's funny. Like people know, certain people know me. They're like, you don't, you don't seem like a Daryl. You don't look like a Daryl. So in answering your question of who is Daryl is, uh, in many ways, is 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 a lot of it has been um, 
me kind of unpacking like all right well what does that mean yeah i mean what does that mean moving forward i, I am a basketball player but like i said i love media and things like that i have a, a, a longing for technology down the road and things of that nature uh but i guess like i said to, to really answer your question it would be um just progress you know what i mean just somebody that's fo- focused and, and fixated on progress and and how to make it um and and um just moving things forward, you know what I mean? And, 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 but also what I've learned the value of just being present. So I, I guess that's the thing. Somebody who's a, a obsessed with progress, um, but has learned to really appreciate and, and be thankful and, and enjoy the present. I think when I was in sports, it was always about the next thing and the next level and being out of it and being able to just enjoy life as a quote unquote normal person over these past couple of years has shown me like, there's a lot to be happy about in being Daryl and, and a lot to be happy about in, in the present. But I can't act like there's not a part of me that is always like not necessarily what's next, but how do I get ahead of what's next? You know, what I mean, that's why I'm in the NFT space, because I'm always trying to figure out um, the story goes on. You know, the story goes on and I don't necessarily always have to be ahead of it, but I like at least um I like at least knowing what's around the corner of is something that can be uh, illuminated, I guess the best way to put it. Yes. yes. Bradley, you've shared space with us today, with the audience, with me. Um, I really appreciate it. Again, filled with gratitude. Um, you know, Saturday, you could have been kicking it, you know, Manhattan Beach vibing, Calabasas vibing, but uh, you're here with me and I appreciate that. So, it's your very last day on earth. You're 115 years old and your great, great grandkids are sitting at your feet. They look up to you and they're like, hey, great, great grandpa, give me one piece of advice on how to live life. And this is the last thing you get to leave them with. What are you going to say? Live it. Mm. Live it. That's it. That's it. Live it. I, I think. I think. Life has, we have made life so trivial. Um, I know I especially have in the sense of getting things right or getting things wrong or being right or being wrong or doing this or doing that. Um, questioning and re-questioning. I mean, you get the answers to questions and you can't you answer. I mean, you question if the answers are correct. You know what I mean? I just, I, I think my advice would be them is just live it. Life isn't something to be trivialized or, or broken down or explained. It's something to be experienced. So experience it. Yes, sir. All right, brother, man. Thank you so much for your time today. Before we sign out, can you let the folks know where they can find you, how they can support you, how they can follow your journey moving forward? Yeah, man. Um, I think, uh, you know, on social, it's, it's if you look up D-Ray in any way, D-R-E-Y, I think on Instagram, D-R-E-Y. On Twitter, it's just D-R-E-Y. A lot of people think it's Dre. It's not. Um, <laughs> look up D-R-E-Y, then you'll, you'll find me um, across any social media that I'm on. But I got to be honest, I'm, I'm, I'm at a point, like I deleted the Instagram app recently. Uh, I found myself scrolling through Twitter mindlessly the other day and I stopped like, what the, like, no, 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 this is what I got on Instagram. Um, I'm at a point where I'm, I'm stepping back from it away a, a bit more. So I would, I would, LinkedIn is definitely the best way. I've met people like you on there. It's just, it seems to cut through so much of the noise. Mm-hmm. You know? So, uh, LinkedIn is probably the best way to find me. And there is Daryl, um, uh, D Ray Reynolds. Um, that's it. 
Hell yeah. You guys can find his contact information in the description below. Make sure you leave a five-star review and share with a friend because that is the only way we can grow. Now, if you don't want us to grow, that's okay. I still love you. But if you do want us to grow, make sure you drop a comment, share, five-star review. This is your boy, C-I-Z-Y, as you know, out of Kansas City, Missouri. And Daryl, we are out. Saluski. My bad.